0: Hello fellow nerds. Check out our network site nerdsloth.com. You can also connect with
1: us on social media like the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. If you like what you hear, look for Nerdsloth on Patreon and consider donating to help us continue delivering quality shows straight to your ears. If you'd like to help the shows out for free, head over to iTunes and write a heartfelt review. I mean it, make me cry happy tears. But seriously though, anything you can do really helps us out and we love you for it. This is Sarah Miller from Ink Master season two, and I have issues.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and I feel like the intro was way too loud, but you know what, I'm excited. It's Wednesday, technically it's still new comic book day, so I don't even know if comic book stores are open by the time like this recording is happening, but whatever. It's new comic book day, it's a great time to be excited. And also, just for the sole fact of, I finally had caffeine, first time in um, at least two days, so my body has no idea what to do with himself. <laughs> <laughs> but... I always say every week I'm excited to talk to today's guest, and it couldn't be more true today. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, we've kind of been talking online for, what is it, almost like a year now of
1: that? It's, it's getting close to a year, man. I was trying to think about it uh, about 15, 20 minutes ago. I don't know how long. That's the one thing that Twitter doesn't show you is, like, you know, how long you've had a connection. That's... Twitter, if you're listening, get on that. I would like to know how long I've, I've been rocking out with certain people online, but it feels like a year.
0: It's definitely been at least that. And I know Facebook does that thing where it'll remind you, it's like, oh, hey, you've been Facebook friends with this person. But see, that always kind of has the other effect where it's like, I've known you for that long. Like, damn, we need some other friends. but. No- <laughs> <laughs> No, I just kidding No, But yeah, it's been about a year and I guess it's like there was a time where, you know, a lot of people were following each other, especially other podcasters, because um I don't even know if it was like a Potter family thing, but you know, there was this kind of this big burst a time where everybody was just sort of following each other. Like, you have a podcast? Cool, I have one too. Check out my stuff. And, you know, as that happens, people will all group together. But then over time, for whatever reason, you know, not everybody always sticks around. And I'm not necessarily mad about that. It's just how it happens. But what yeah, was cool yeah. was... I remember actually very vividly one of the things that I think kind of gravitated towards me. I was doing, like, I think it was a live tweet of, like, the Empire Strikes Back. I was at my mm. girlfriend's house. Like, you know, everybody was asleep. I'm bored. So I'm like, you know, I'm watching Empire Strikes Back. I'm just going to just live tweet it because, you know, I have nothing else bad to do. And then I think you had started, like, kind of, like, um, basically responding back. And you're, you know, responding to a lot of the tweets and everything. So it's like, all right, it's cool. So let's continue to chat. And... Here we are. So in that time, let's see. I mean, you have uh well podcaster yourself, which is awesome, and you're the creator of the Paprika Network, which I am saying that correctly.
1: Yes, sir, you are, man, the Paprika Network.
0: Cool. And um well, more recently, let's see, you've got a comic book out. Uh the creator and writer of a book called Pineville, which I got a chance to check out, and um well damn. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's that's the response that I was going for.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, please welcome to the show, Daryl Mansell. So, Daryl, how's it going, buddy?
1: Oh man, it's a it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood uh, here in North Carolina, which is where I am. About uh 20 minutes north of pineville north carolina as a matter of fact it's great to be on the show thanks for having me i really appreciate it
0: oh thank you for checking out because again we i was saying we were talking about doing this for the longest so i'm glad that you pulled me aside it's like look are we gonna do this we're we gonna not do this <laughs>
1: <laughs> i figured uh with pineville hitting online this would be the perfect time to do it
0: i think that's a great time let's see now i'm not too familiar with pineville um because i have a lot of family in the carolinas How far is that from Winston-Salem?
1: Okay, so Winston-Salem is uh, about an hour and a half from me, and uh, north of me, and Pineville is about 20 minutes south of me. So you're looking at around about two hours between Winston-Salem and and Pineville.
0: Okay, cool, because I have a lot of family down that way. uh, And I don't remember if Bishopville is north or South Carolina. I always get that mixed up.
1: Uh, Everybody gets it mixed up. We are, we are the better Carolina. We're the one that, uh, that actually houses the Carolina Panthers Stadium. Uh, which, uh, if, if I was so inclined to, I could, you know, pretty much walk to it from my house. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm all of, you know, maybe a half hour from the South Carolina border, so every once in a while I can sneak down there and get some cheaper gas, and they got a really good liquor store on the other side of the <laughs> border.
0: <laughs> I just you're just sneaking contraband back into North Carolina.
1: <laughs> um, Winston-Salem, man, is home of North Carolina School of the Arts, which is one of the top ten film programs in the country. Yeah,
0: so funny, because at the time when I graduated high school, I was trying to get into – couple of film schools and you know it just didn't pan out i'm just thinking about it i'm like oh shoot where's a good um good school and then north carolina came up and i'm like wait a minute i have family down there i i haven't seen them in years but i'm sure i could just show up with a suitcase like look i'm going to school uh can i just <laughs> hang with you and commute i'm like all right cool awesome where's the chicken at <laughs> <laughs> so
1: four years me couch all right cool
0: <laughs> just keep the mac and cheese coming, or we're all right.
1: Yeah. Uh, if anything, please just put that on a t shirt and sell it. Just put that quote on a t shirt right there. <laughs> keep the mac and cheese just, coming.
0: Absolutely. Oh man, North Carolina, not for nothing. I don't even know how it happened because it seems like in the last maybe decade or so, it's really sort of blown up and being a very big area in terms of the arts and things like that. I mean, I don't even know how that happened, but I think that's just real cool.
1: I don't know how it happened either. Uh I was born here in Charlotte, but my pops was military so we moved around a lot and then I went military so I moved around a lot and I just so I was gone for pretty much my entire life except for like a 2 year span where I graduated high school before I went military. Um so I haven't really lived here. Uh, I just moved back 2 years ago and it is a much different north carolina when i got back at the end of 2014 than when i went in the military in 2002 and it's changed uh for the better it's gotten a little bit more uh a little more freer let's say that um unfortunately this brought in the hipsters so you got to deal with those guys but other than that man it's it's a small little scene that's growing here it's it's becoming like its own little mini Austin, Texas, in a way.
0: That's cool. So instead of like you know getting you know jump for your money, in other words, people are just jumping. You hand you flyers to go to your like artisan clam <laughs> 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 clam chowder shop.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's there's stuff on my windshield like every other day. Like check out this local homegrown band or blah blah blah. But one of the uh, one of the places that I I love to just kind of hang out and drink at is called uh, North Davidson Street, and it's just. Craft beer and and hipsters and beards and man buns and flannel as far as the eye can see, but they got a really bunch of cool stuff going on like arcade bars starting to pop up here and there, uh, lots of museums and art houses. It's, it's it's a little cool city, man.
0: Before I moved to Long Island with my girlfriend, I was living in Montclair, New Jersey, you know, Northeast. And at the time in which I left, as if I'm going to get some sort of heat from the community, but I just remember <laughs> just feeling a little let down to the fact that there was an artisan vaping
1: shop. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've got those as well. Uh, they're starting to pop up all over the country. I, uh, I, I have a writer's meeting that I go to every Wednesday where we just, that's what we do. We sit down and write and right next to that is a vape shop. And then around the corner from that is a vape shop, uh, a vape shop. And then, you know, a good, maybe mile and a half away from that is another vape shop. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, beginning to be part of the zeitgeist, I guess.
0: <laughs> it was just so weird, because every time I'd go in there, and it's a great-looking shop, too, but I guess it's one of those things that I know people who do it, and, you know, they're always telling me about the various juices and things like that, which is cool, and I'm definitely not knocking it, but I didn't realize that's a thing that can be artisanal. Like, I just kind of thought, all right, you put this shit in, you know, you, you smoke it or whatever, and you have a good time, but I'm like, how is this different from, like, regular vaping? So it was just a very weird vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: When I saw Leo vaping at the Oscars, I think it was like 2014, or maybe it might have been the 2015 Oscars, I was like, well, that's it. Let's pack it all up, fellas. Let's go home. Vaping is officially dead. Vaping is officially dead.
0: I just imagine him, of course, still in his uh, character from Django, you know, just basically sitting there with the vape pen. (laughs) He's got
1: a vape pipe. (laughs) Uh, I wish... Now that you say it, I didn't even realize I wanted this until you said it. I wish actors would go to the Oscars still in character from whatever the last person they played was. I think that would be wonderful. Just Daniel Day-Lewis it all the way through to the end credits.
0: (laughs) Or better yet, like they had to be in character of the movie they got nominated for.
1: Ooh, you know, I can get down with that. I want to see if Andrew Garfield wins for Hacksaw Ridge, that stupid Southern accent he had going on the whole time. Just put, put that in your acceptance speech, and, you know, just thank people you never met that were in the movie. Just, just go full <laughs> tilt.
0: I swear to God we're going to get to your comic, but now that you mentioned it, what is it with British and Australian actors? Like, they're standard American, great, but I'm like, I don't, like, where, where did you get your Southern accents from? I've been calling it, like, the Russell Crowe effect.
1: You mean one of the kings of the gravelly voice era, Russell Crowe? Yes. (laughs) Um, I was saying to somebody at work the other day, like, you know, we've got this this travel ban in place in the States that our president has put on us. Uh, What we really need to be concentrating on is banning all these British actors from coming over and taking all these Southern roles from Southern actors because it's just getting (laughs) out of hand, man.
0: So in other words you you're basically adopting the they took our jobs rhetoric but for Brits.
1: Yeah, yes. We got to get uh, Andrew Lincoln out of here. We got to get, you know, a couple of these people. Uh, Andrew Garfield, you got to go. To all British cats named Andrew, they got to go.
0: But not for nothing, though. I guess it's just a lot of them still trained Shakespearean, so you know they kind of get that classical training. And like, it blew my fucking mind when you know, longtime Wire fan. I remember this was the final season. And I was watching it, and HBO was doing all these featurettes before and after it would air. And the first time I heard Idris Elba talk, like I felt like I felt betrayed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That guy's not actually from Baltimore. Well, what? what what's the point of life?
0: <laughs> and so many of them were, but the over-under on actors that were English and the ones that were from Baltimore, I just, I, it, it, I couldn't deal with it. Like, it hurt too much.
1: Yeah, I, I questioned the fabric of reality when I found out that, that Idris Elba in particular, uh, having lived in Baltimore for four years, I live like about 10 minutes outside of Baltimore. So I was very indoctrinated with that accident, and I was like, "Oh, this guy obviously, you know, probably lived two blocks away from from you know the, the baseball stadium." Nope, nope, couldn't be more wrong.
0: <laughs> so actually, that brings up a really good point. You said you're a former military, and you jumped around a lot. So. Yeah. In that time, is that because uh, I really what I really want to get into is, you know, your story, your backstory, because, like I said, I knew you first as a podcaster, but now I get to talk to you as a creator. And from my understanding, at least from what I've been seeing, you know, on your social media, that Plimesville obviously is a story that you have sort of had gestating for quite a number of years. So would you really care to get into the inspiration as to how this all came about?
1: It's crazy. I have a running gag with one of my longest friends uh, back when. In- we were doing a comedy. Uh, there's two places for us both in particular where all the inspiration strikes. It's driving to work and it's standing in the shower. And <laughs> for me, Pineville came to me in the, the small kernel of a of an idea. Standing in the shower one night, I was thinking, what would happen if uh, if if X went down and my mind immediately went to, well, a B and C would happen. And I was like, well, that doesn't quite make sense. Why would ABC happen? If X happened? Oh, it's because of this. And there's this going on. But I time I got out of the shower. I was like, huh, that might be a nice, like, uh, you know, writing exercise for a short story or something like that. I told a couple of my friends about it and they were like, no, 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 this is something that needs to be in a visual medium. So that's when I decided, all right, well, let's, let's try this comic book instead.
0: I didn't know much about it other than just, you know, the little tease you've been leaving. And, you know, going back to The Wire, um, talking about HBO and things like Oz, which, you know, this wasn't that long ago, but yet, I didn't really think of prison stories as necessarily a genre, but in a lot of stories, prison's always seen as, you know, this is just, you know, the dregs, this is basically where, the end of the line, but yet, even though, yeah, they're still in jail, it's like the same things keep happening and of course you get into the politics behind it and it's it's really bizarre and i thought that the story had an interesting way to approach it because mm-hmm. it's like you know you start i'm trying not to spoil it but you know you start talking about all the groups and different people inside how much did that really affect the story and how you decided to write it
1: well you know you were pretty spot on you're like you know they're all incarcerated it's the end of the line and most of the times you see you know just it is. I mean, there's there's nothing pleasant about being, you know, incarcerated away from friends and family and loved ones and all that kind of stuff. But there is, uh, you find a certain familiarity. There's, uh, you know, what's the, what's the best way of putting it? Uh, there, you know, they they share a common bond. Right. You know, no matter, uh, you know, no matter what they're in for, they're all in there regardless. So there's, there's the bond there and, and these relationships form and I have three cousins that are all law enforcement officers, and you know they've told me that they've they've seen people who bonded in in jail, and they they both got out and they became lifelong friends. And it's and it's I'm, I'm working on issue. I think it's what issue am I working on? I'm writing issue seven right now, and there's a character in there who's, who likens it to to like being in war. You're constantly paranoid. You're always, there's always, you gotta find somebody to try and watch your back just like there would be with somebody in the trenches. So all that kind of stuff will come into play, and there will be the politics, and each of the factions that you see in in the first issue, they will have their parts to play as the story goes. As for the actual writing of it, uh, I'm a fan of small, short, contained series. I'm not a huge fan of, like, you know, Avengers 777. i <laughs> like, short, like Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run, 22 issues. Boom. It's in, it's out. It's all the story. You know, it does what it needs to do. Things like that. Very short and contained. So Pineville, if all goes well, is only going to be 20 issues. That's it. I believe in telling a very compact story, but that being said, that means every panel counts. There's no wasted panels in this. There's, I try to make sure that there's not an ounce of fat in there. And with all the uh, the different things that I'll be juggling there, it creates a strain on making sure that each individual bit gets its shine uh but i'm hoping that if i pull this off well that the the jail half of the story uh people enjoy it i hope people enjoy
0: it it's interesting that you say that as far as you know not liking these long narratives and things like that which is funny because you mentioned avengers you know 700 and so where you know someone like jonathan hickman who i talk about a lot in the show because i liked how he dealt with long narratives and where these things that you didn't think would actually be important to the story sort of pay it off but that's sort of that's sort of a rarity because again if you screw that up there's no pulling back from that, but I'm seeing it in music and I'm seeing it in comics where, you know, the EP is becoming big again. Singles are big again. Even in comics, like the miniseries is really starting to pick up and I know some people are like, well, that's just only because our, you know, attention spans are short and, you know, the kids with their Zima and their Snapchats and their Face Space <laughs> and all that. But no, I think it's, a good way to tell a story without a bunch of filler and you know, who's going to sit there and spend all this money on a series. If they find out that, you know, two years down the line, it's a bunch of bullshit.
1: Exactly. That's, that's one thing. uh, I know there's been some grumbles in the, in the TV community about uh, not what they call sticking the landing. You know, everybody was up in arms about the lost finale. And there was a lot of people I know that weren't fans of the sons of anarchy finale. Uh, So, you know, it's all about sticking that landing. If it's going to be a week ending and it's only like a two season joint, well, then I didn't really waste all that time. But if I'm going to invest over such a long period of time, both time and money, because comics aren't cheap, uh, it's all about sticking that landing. So there, it's a, it's a different way, long form and short form storytelling. Uh, I do believe are two different muscles. Um, if you're going to go long form, then you really got to have that uh, story down pat and not you know wayward or rambling uh shout out to a song of ice and fire uh, <laughs> so you know <laughs> compact i think is a uh, and then the stakes are higher like i say every panel matters
0: and it should if you're just meandering for a while you're gonna lose people especially since there's so much stuff out now where if you don't cook them early on people are just gonna go elsewhere so yeah you really have to be on top of your game but yeah i'm sure as the creator you're probably just you know really just laboring over like you know like i said you got to stick the landing so i don't know does that really get tense in terms of writing it or even just working on layouts with your art
1: team uh the problem that i had was i had an awesome idea for volume one and then after that, I was like, "Oh, well, I really need to sit down and really succinctly plan out what the rest of this story is going to be." I have a buddy of mine who's also working on his own bit of business, and his philosophy is, ah, "I'm not going to outline it. I'm just going to kind of, you know, let the plot guide me and let the developments come naturally." And for some people, that works. I mean, that's what a uh, that's what George R. R. Martin uh, is pretty much doing with the Song of Ice and Fire. Stephen King kind of worked like that when he did the Dark Tower series. Uh, He had an outline, but he lost it. For me, outline is the only way I could tell a story. I have to know what happens somewhere in issue 15. That way I know whether or not I need to start setting it up in issue 10 or something like that. Or, you know, I got to start the trail of breadcrumbs or I got to, you know, do a setup for a callback later on. All that kind of stuff is uh, crucial to me. I want to be able to have people both enjoy it As each issue comes out, or as I hope each issue comes out, and I also want people to be able to sit down on a rainy Saturday and just go from 1 to 20 and enjoy it in a completely different way as well.
0: (laughs) Which is all funny, can you say that? Because I find myself doing a lot of binge reading.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's the new thing in culture, man. Binging is, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, I don't think.
0: And maybe I did it before Netflix, like I'm starting to think about it. I don't know if I did, but maybe it's only because at the moment I don't have a comic book shop that I could just walk to, whereas Mm -hmm. before I moved, mine was five minutes away. And that's a bad thing when you live that close to a comic book store.
1: Oh, yeah. Mine's about (laughs) uh, about a 10 minute drive. And the (laughs) thing about it is my favorite taco spot is a 45 second drive from that comic book store, which is right by a Starbucks. So it's it's a murderer's row uh, on my bank account. When I go to get tacos, I just know I, I can't just go get tacos. I got to go, you know, say what's up to the cats at the comic book store. Well, since I'm saying what's up to them, I might as well just kind of peruse around and see what they got. Oh, here's that, you know, Charles Sewell Daredevil run that's going on. Well, let me just go on and pick up that volume one, and then go over to Starbucks and get, you know, a four dollar drink and sit down and read it real quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's dangerous being close to a comic book store. But uh, it's there's worse ways to spend your time and money.
0: True, but like in that block, it was a comic book store and also a really good bar. So of course, it's like you know when you're, you said you were really cool with the guys at the comic book shop. Of course, you're talking, you know, catching up and. I kid you not, I kind of blacked out one day. I was in a comp, and this is, of course, before I was drinking. Walked into the <laughs> shop, you know, talking to the guy there. Of course, other people that I know are coming in. So we're all talking about this, that, hey, did you see this movie? Did you read this book? You know, having a great time. I didn't realize it that as I'm talking, I'm just picking up books. <laughs> now,
1: you got $70 in here. hand.
0: No, it was not. I wish it was seventy dollars. I kid you not. it was closer to at least it was definitely over a hundred dollars with the comics.
1: yeah, it's it can be it's a costly habit.
0: And I walked out of there and looked in my back and I was like, "Why did I buy it? I was like, uh, what the fuck like what?" Yeah. <laughs> Like and and I'm of course not even taking responsibility because you know the mature thing would have just been like oh you know I should be more fiscally responsible but no I was mad I'm like why do you let me do that
1: <laughs> uh, yeah you know what that's that is you're you're in the right sir that's every comic book person's had that experience at least once or twice uh, I mentioned Austin not too long ago I at least live in San Antonio and Austin has a warehouse for a comic book store when I knew I was moving back here to North Carolina, I was like, well, let me make one more trip up there, you know, just to just to, you know, just to be in the environment one more time. I didn't know what the stores were like here. And I just perused for about a good hour, hour and a half. And I just plopped everything on the shelf. I said, just turn the monitor away from me. Here's my card. Ring it up. Keep the receipt. I don't want to know how much all this costs. And And I never looked at my bank statement. I still don't know to this day but it was not well.
0: (laughs) There's a certain shame that comes with it too. Like, you know, like as if I just did something horrible, (laughs) I've felt more shame walking out of a comic book shop sometimes with the money I spent more than I had any sort of, like, nightclub kind of situation, or even bars for that matter. Like, you know, there's times where I'd go to, like, Hoboken and Jersey, go see a show, you know, pre-game, get drunk, and then I remember, I like, at one point, I dropped all this money on, like, this band's merch because, well, there wasn't a lot of people there. I was like, you know, let me pick up something. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, you know, let me just pick up something, and next thing you know... I'm waking up and I'm on my couch. Don't remember how I got there. So I'm talking to my buddy and he's like, so what happened? It's like, "Uh, yeah, so you bought all this stuff at the merch table. We missed our last train out when we had to get a cab back home. And I woke up and there's like over $200 of cash in my pocket. I was like, what's that? I was like, yeah, I kept you from buying more records because you tried to buy them twice. <laughs> Even then, I didn't feel nearly as much shame as I did of, like dropping like two hundred dollars on comics accidentally.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a strange kind of buyer's remorse that comic book fans or book fans or just regular regular book fans in general get. Um, I'm not sure why it's it's a weird trick to have, but yeah, I, I know if it's back of mind, is like oh, I could have paid a bill with this or something like that. But I haven't really, I haven't gotten remorse like that when I recklessly spend on other things. For some reason, it's always comics and novels. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have done that.
0: But yeah, I feel like those things are far more enriching to my overall life than, you know, hanging out. So it, it should be quite the opposite.
1: <laughs> it should be. It really should be. Like a bottle of, uh, you know, Johnny Walker Blue Label isn't cheap. But when it's gone, it's gone. Whereas if you were to go pick up, you know, your Sagas Volume 1 through 6 right now, those will last. You can get a continuing enjoyment out of that. You could pass it along to your kids or donate it to the library when you're all said and done. So when you look at it like that, I, it's, it is kind of ass-backwards that we have this this buyer's remorse.
0: I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and in a way, I'm almost jealous of later generations because uh, I don't know exactly which year we were born, but I figured we're close enough in age or at least enough that when we were probably younger... Comics were still, or at least even comic culture, and not even compiculture culture, but just geek culture in general. That's a thing that not everybody shared. And of course, like now I'm seeing all these kids, like, damn, where were all these girls playing video games when I was coming up? Most of the ones in my school made fun of me for playing them. So it's like <laughs> that stuff now isn't nearly as taboo as it used to be. So maybe for us, there's like that weird sort of guilt that was maybe, I don't know if it was necessarily put on us, but Mm -hmm. it definitely has stayed around where it's like, even now when I read comics, I still kind of feel like this is a thing that's, it still feels a little bit like when it did when I was reading as a kid, where, you know, now everybody's reading comics, but it still kind of feels odd to me. And I mean, I love it, and believe me, I would want to keep reading comics as long as I can, but there's still that weird feeling that, you know, maybe, like, am, am I being an adult, <laughs>
1: you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it, it, it changed from a thing of, you know, it's this is not something that's popular with people. That's what it was when we were, you know, uh, kids and in high school and things like that. Now it's from a more adult perspective. Like, uh, I can pay this cell phone bill or I can pick up this run of image number ones that just came out. You know, so it's it's a different kind of guilt now. Like I could squirrel this away in a savings account, you know, and, you know, help prepare for any emergencies or, you know, in case the the engine in my car blows out, I can have something to fall back on. Right. Or I can just get this image blind box that's coming to stores here in a couple of months.
0: And I think that's also an issue that maybe we're having, even as consumers, because like you said, or not even consumers as creators, I should say, where you've made a comic, and I know other friends of mine who have also made them, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that's kind of the issue that we're having. And I know digital is a little bit different, where it's a little bit more accessible, but you know that feeling that it's not a necessity. You know, there's like maybe to some there's that feeling that this isn't the same as buying like you know a hardcover that. Maybe there's still that fight of seeing comics as a legitimate thing, like a legitimate business, a legitimate art form. You know, they're not just fun books that, you know, you read once and you kind of throw them away and they end up in your basement. It's like, no, but these, you know, are shaping people's lives. But like you said, there may be people who are like, well, I can read this or I can save this or, you know, to either fix something or for bills and things like that. So it's... I'm imagining that this is kind of something that I've noticed, and I don't know if it's everybody else is experiencing that, but it's something that's crossed my mind
1: yeah. in the last couple of years or so. Yeah, it's, it's also crossed my mind as well. And and speaking to your digital comics, they've made us far, far worse on us. Uh, it's it's too accessible. It's too easy to, uh, <laughs> to to buy comics nowadays, especially with, you know, Comicology who picked up Pineville. Like, I get paid on Friday, and I know as soon as I, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to get in the shower. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to get there a few minutes early. And the first thing I'm going to do is pull up Comixology with my fresh paycheck and be like, well, what can I buy today? What's on sale? You know, what, uh, what am I missing in my, in my collection? What? So the you know, back in the days when you actually had to go to a store, you, you could, you could kind of talk yourself out of it as you're, you know, you're putting on your shirt. Like, do I really need to go? Do you still have time to, to talk yourself out of it and, and realize? <laughs> Uh, you know, there's there's better things you could do with this money, whereas now it's a couple of clicks, man. And all of a sudden I have, you know, all four volumes of Jessica Jones or whatever the case may be.
0: <laughs> and just the irony of people not maybe wanting to spend the extra money for comics, not realizing that if you don't pick up the comic, the person who made it will not actually have the money for their bills.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the thing about it. Like the kind of creators got to eat, too, you know, so you, you want to make sure uh, you want to make sure they get theirs as well
0: it all just feeds into each other i had a lot of really shitty comic book habits in terms of my perception of them even as a reader you know i was highly opinionated about books but now knowing people's backstories and the things that went on in terms of the, how they were created it's definitely changed how i've thought about them even like the books that i don't like so has that happened to you now being a comic book creator like has your opinion on certain books changed at all
1: my opinion on certain books has changed, not from the creator standpoint, but more from a storytelling or narrative standpoint. That's been one of the biggest changes for me when it comes to trying to break into the comics game. Uh, whereas, you know, it used to be, let's take Lazarus, uh, for example. I used to just Ooh, be a good book. Of, you know, oh, so good. I picked that up. I picked up volume one, blew through it. Great story. And then that's when I started uh, a little bit after that. Maybe I started, uh, I was, I came a little bit late to the game on Lazarus. So I started writing Pineville, writing about volume two of Lazarus. So I pick up volume two and I find myself counting panels on the page, every page. Like I go and I read it and I enjoy it. And then I go back and be like, all right, he put five panels on that page. And I go to the next one. All right, he did seven panels on that page. And it, a it slowed down my process of reading, <laughs> but also like, well, why did he do that? Why did he choose to write it like that? You know, it's 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 one of my favorite books because it's very minimalistic. Uh, not a whole lot of words, as compared to like, say, Days of Future Past or the Phoenix Saga or anything back in the eighties, which is of uh, the fucking novel in itself. Oh, <laughs> uh, but you know, like, okay, so it, he takes a minimalist approach, whereas uh, you know, uh, writer X over here, uh, you know, like Kelly Sue tends to be a little bit more wordy and she uses more panels on the page. So when it came to uh, when I started breaking into writing, I, I noticed that I read differently now.
0: Those words, much like the panels, they also matter. I read most of my comics in the early 90s where, you know, there's speech bubbles that pretty much cover the entire page. <laughs> <laughs> and that stuff was great. So I remember talking about bad habits. You know, once you got closer towards the 2000s, the comics were being written differently, where people were realizing that, you know what, you don't necessarily have to have these long soliloquies, or at least if you're going to have them, maybe break them up a little bit in terms of how they're laid out. And at first, I thought I was being cheated, because I'm like, remember when, you know, the characters used to talk more, and they didn't, and yeah, yeah. And now that they don't, but I'm like, well, dummy, the difference <laughs> is now you can convey comics in a way that... You know, just having these almost golden age, silver age, you know, monologues don't necessarily have to do anymore. So now you can actually convey so much without even having a, a single bit of dialogue.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the whole adage is, is always been "show don't tell," right? So right, now they're exactly. finally getting to the "show don't tell" part of storytelling. Storytelling has changed immensely, like you were just saying, uh, over the last couple of decades. I think there's two big parts of three three big things of why we have such a resurgence of comics. One, storytelling changed to a much more easily digestible format. So there's not a million captions, uh, thought balloons, and word bubbles uh, on the page. So they streamline storytelling in that nature. Two, uh, they digitized comics. So things like Comixology offers, you know, huge uh, back issues and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and honestly, uh, three, Batman Begins is probably, <laughs> uh, I think, a huge reason why even even jocks that, you know, would have made fun of nerds back in the days are like, yo, kind of a dope-ass movie. And then, we, <laughs> and then we got Iron Man, not too long after that, and then everybody was like, that's just kind of fun. And then people started doing a little bit of investigating on on, you know, where this stuff came from. I think those three things play a major part in the resurgence of comics that we've had.
0: Yeah, I actually didn't think about that we all talk about it like, okay, people go see the movies and it'll just change, you know, how people buy them. It's like, no, I think it's actually more about the creation of, and especially since a lot of those characters are now reflected in the books, you know, like where Tony Stark starts to resemble Robert Downey Jr. to the point where Samuel Jackson, who was kind of the model for Ultimate Nick Fury, now people are mad because regular Nick Fury doesn't look like Sam Jackson. I'm like, this is an amazing time to be alive.
1: It is the best time to be a comics fan, and I feel sorry for all fans of David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, because that that cat's just completely fallen by the wayside. Anybody who's breaking into comics now for the first time, all they know is is the Sam L. Jackson Nick Fury, which isn't a bad thing. No, right. I kind of miss my my old cigar chomping Nick Fury.
0: <laughs> Though I had this discussion with the guest about the fact that I remember when they announced that they were doing the Green Lantern movie with um, Ryan Reynolds. So many people that I knew and especially a lot of my cousins, you know, were mad because it's like, wait a minute, I thought Green Lantern was black. And I'm like, you know what? I know he originally wasn't, but I'm still mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> and Common <laughs> wants to do it. I'm like, let this man play Green Lantern. Please let it be Jon Stewart. Just let it happen. Please,
1: please let that man. Uh, My my two choices for Green Lantern, for Jon Stewart, are A, Common, B, anybody but Tyrese. Those are my two choices.
0: Oh, yeah, and Tyrese, he's been really campaigning hard. And the thing is, Tyrese, I'm like, you know, he's a cool dude. And I love him in Fast and Furious, but I'm sorry. I don't see him as Jon Stewart.
1: I just don't. I I don't I don't uh I don't think he has the chops in the range to pull it off that could just be you know like a, a huge inner nerd in me coming out uh I get crapped on all day at work for for voicing this stuff by people who are just fans of movies like it doesn't really matter who plays the character i'm like yes it it does matter what they bring to the table right if you go back and you watch the fast and furious joints and you watch tyrese and you're like hey that's now nah, he's goofy dude number two to me and <laughs> i don't need somebody, somebody with the credits <laughs> of goofy dude number two playing my my john stewart
0: And, you know, if he were still alive, I think what they could have done was have Tyrese play Jon Stewart and like Paul Walker be like Hal Jordan or maybe even Kyle Rayner. I don't know.
1: You know what? I would (laughs) have been one thousand percent okay with that. I would have (laughs) had no problems with that. Getting back to your your point of, of movie influence in the comics, that's exactly what happened. I didn't give two craps about the Avengers. Nobody gave two craps about the Avengers until Iron Man came out and that, you know, the infamous Sam L. Jackson and credit scene. And, you know, you look at it when we came up reading comics, X-Men, they were the they were the group on top. Right. They were running Marvel back in the 90s when most people of a certain age started reading comics and nobody really gave about a crap about the Avengers. And now you look at it like the Avengers are everywhere everywhere. And it's, like, we got, like, maybe two X-Men titles right now and then a couple of lame-ass spinoffs. So the, <laughs> the movies have influenced a lot, and I think they will continue to influence a lot.
0: I've been having this back and forth talking about the X-Men because, like I said, that's my jam. And, that, like, not five minutes before we got going tonight, there's a bunch of people that I know on Twitter. We were talking about X-Men. And, well, we were having this really fun joke about names of ice creams or desserts, like, named after X-Men. So, like, I had one, like, um, shit, well, it's like, you know, like, Cannonball Crunch and something, like, stuff like that. <laughs> and long before I even knew what the Avengers were, X-Men was just always my thing. And it's something that, personally speaking, I've always identified with. And, you know, the comics are... They're good sometimes, they're bad sometimes, but you know what? It's still the X-Men. I know I'm going to end up reading it at the end of the day. But I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what needs to happen, but I kind of wish there wasn't this point in my life where I'm just constantly embarrassed by the movies. And I know it doesn't mean anything because there (laughs) will always be the comics, but Logan, I'm really only really pulling for it because maybe, just maybe, this will kind of help out the X-Men and at large on the back end, because I'm like, okay, maybe if you can tell a slightly less goofy-ass story here, <laughs> maybe you can actually tell a less goofy-ass story with the rest of the X-Men, because I swear to God, if I get another movie like Apocalypse, I'm going to
1: rage. Yeah, uh, so I was firmly, and I mean firmly, in the I'll catch Logan on Red Box camp for the longest until today, as a matter of fact there's a podcast that i listen to uh religiously and and one of the people that uh, that hosts this show uh whose opinion i pretty much respect and his his viewpoints line up with my own he's already seen it and he was like you know what this is a damn tasty movie um so i was like well maybe maybe i should and uh, another friend of mine who managed to, uh, to catch a screener who was a staunch this movie is going to be crappy uh person he was like yo it's actually kind of dope so, you know, between those two guys uh, of a person who was a complete, no, this is going to suck, who's done a, a total 180 uh, and and said he thoroughly enjoyed it. So I was like, oh, OK, then, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to give it a chance.
0: I want to be wrong. And I wanted to be wrong when the Wolverine came out, because I remember Origins, you know, the less you talk about Origins, the better. But mm-hmm. I remember when that all happened, I'm saying to myself, OK, you know what? This is not the way to go with this. And then the Wolverine was announced. I'm like, okay, wait, he's going to Japan? And like, oh, shit, that's one of my favorite storylines. And I'm like, the trailers were great for that. And I was like, this is going to be great. And then the movie actually came out.
1: (laughs) And that was my whole thing with Logan. I was like, nope, nope. Because that first, that that Johnny Cash Logan trailer is an amazing trailer. But I was like, they fooled me last time with this Mm -hmm. amazing trailer nonsense. They're not going to fool me again with it. And, uh, and apparently it's, it's to be fooled with.
0: I hope so. And I'm, but yeah, I'm still waiting for, and this is something that I've been kind of incorporating with a lot of my movies, even outside of the superhero genre is the, um, cause what was at the end of the Wolverine, the second one where, you know, the story kind of got pretty good, because once he finally gets the adamantium thing out, which, again, that's still part still bullshit, but, yeah. you know, when he fights the dude, you know, when he gets his um healing factor back, and he's straight, and, he, you know, he takes out Homeboy, it's like, okay, cool, that's fine, like, it's basically... His revenge was sealed. Like, we're good. We're straight. Like, that could have, they could have rolled credits and, like, all right, they redeemed it because he just went total badass in that last fight. Yes. And I'm like, awesome. But yet the movie did not end. They <laughs> continued to have the big showdown with the giant fucking samurai robot.
1: Yeah. So the quote, end quote, silver samurai there.
0: So now I keep waiting for the giant silver samurai and all these movies where it's like, okay, this is good. So where is the figurative, and literal giant robot going to show up. And I feel like Logan, like that first trailer, that hit hard. I didn't even have to see a second trailer, but it was just a well-done trailer. But I'm like, I know when I go see this, I'm going to be looking for the giant robot somewhere in this movie because I know there's going to be something that happens that's just going to really disappoint me. And maybe that's just setting myself up for a loss, but I don't want to get too hyped with this. And I hate that as much as I love the X-Men, I have to constantly... Look at them through this, you know, lens of how, how are they going to disappoint me?
1: Yeah, it's it sucks to have to forcibly temper your expectations for something that you should be hype about. Uh, like when it comes to the MCU, you know, everybody you know looks to MCU to be the uh, the guys who are successfully pulling it off, and I You don't really need to have uh, a tempered expectation. We know Spider Man's going to be fun. We know Guardians is going to be fun. Thor we'll hold judgment for. But when it comes to when it comes to pretty much everything else, I mean Wonder Woman's coming out soon. Of course we're going to scale back our expectations a little bit and and we're justifiably going to scale back our expectations for Logan and it sucks that we have to do that that we're not going into it with the same freshness and the same, you know, hopeful, you know, childlike wonder. It's cool to be in this renaissance but at the same time it's like come on studios, you step your game up.
0: You know, we talk about the Avengers, you know, now we're at this point in the MCU where we have the expectation of these movies to be good, but I guess that's only because we're a couple years removed from when Iron Man came out, because remember, that movie was destined to fail. hmm You know, because no one really wanted to do superhero movies like that big in a while. Robert Downey Jr. was all but blacklisted. You know, he was a, he was a risk. And, you know, we kind of forget that those early movies, and I look back and I rewatched them, like, you know, the phase one movies, as much as I love them, they're starting to age a little and that's fine but yet you know they had to earn that place where we can see these movies with those fresh you know child eyes or childlike eyes rather because we're not actually physically doing that but that's a completely different
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're not wrong Uh, Marvel's phase one was just good enough Iron Man I still think is an exceptional movie but Marvel's phase one was for the most part just good enough to get them to phase two like you know, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Hulk 4 Cap were all decent Avengers is where it really kicks off. And then the phase two was just an amazing round of movies for the most part. And I think the phase two is what bought us enough credit that we can now uh we can now just go nuts with anticipation for everything they come out with. Or I see everyday people like I don't I don't know why you're so worried about the Wonder Woman movie. You know, Suicide Squad was fine, and Batman vs Superman was fine. To me, they weren't. To me, they haven't built up that credit yet. But when they do, then yeah, they'll be in the same camp. But they just haven't yet.
0: Yeah. Now I always enjoyed Wonder Woman as much as, you know, a character, but it really wasn't to my girlfriend because she's a very huge Wonder Woman fan, but then I also realized a lot of people are Wonder Woman fans, but, you know, this movie needs to do well, and not even just for me, you know, because as a 32-year-old, relatively straight black dude, you know what, this this movie may not necessarily be for me, but there's a large group of people that this movie has to succeed, and you know what, DC has not earned at least not my respect, you know, because nope. it's like, alright, when you start talking about having Mel Gibson direct Suicide Squad 2, I'm like, no, no, hell no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't care how many Hacksaw Ridge movies he does that are great with Andrew Garfield and his bad accent. Fine, but I'm like, wait, you're gonna put one of the most unlikable comic movies with one of the most unlikable dudes? I don't care if he's a good director, I don't want to see that shit. I'm sorry, I'm gonna flat out say it.
1: <laughs> and, you're, and you're not 100% wrong. Uh, when I heard the the news that they, that they might be giving Suicide Squad to, to Mel, I was like, well, you know, Hacksaw Ridge ain't bad. It earned its Oscar noms. Uh, I still don't want to see him doing Suicide Squad. Speaking of credit, he has not yet earned his credit back with me. Right. As opposed to someone who is starting to earn their credit back. And I along with uh with Split and some other things he's done lately. He's slowly gaining. His stock is coming back up where Mel isn't quite there for me.
0: And Night like Shyamalan made some pretty bad movies, but he never went out of his way to offend several groups of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, the only huge group of people he really ever offended were fans of Avatar. Other than that, uh... <laughs> 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 he did all right for himself in that respect.
0: My old co-host and I, we had watched that on Netflix. And the thing is, I watched that movie like shit face drunk. And it still hurt my feelings to the point where if you had pretty much stabbed me, I probably wouldn't have felt it. I would have laughed like I was that far gone. But I still had the mind to be like, this is all wrong.
1: Yeah, uh, I watched it stone sober. And I wish I was you at that point because it would have been much better uh, shit face drunk.
0: I didn't see Split yet, so I can't really comment on it, but I know at least his last few movies that Shyamalan has done. Like, he basically did that thing that he basically should have just done after he did Sixth Sense and maybe even Unbreakable, where it's like, okay, you know, these movies, they're suspenseful, but, you know, they have to have more than just cheap gimmicks.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. you
0: know, I'll at least give him credit for at least raining it in a little bit, but, you know, someone at DC, someone's got to talk to Warner Brothers, someone's got to get in there. And just be like, you know what? Let's just strip everything back. Let's just, you know, do what the freaking TV shows have done, like you know Arrow and Flash and Legends and those shows. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. And that's even as a non-fan.
1: Yeah, I'm a. I'm not a. I'm not a huge comic books on TV dude. So I don't watch the uh, the Arrowverse. I don't watch Gotham or Ages of the Shield. Uh, pretty much the Walking Dead, and that's really about it. And I, I'm going to give Preacher, uh, you know, a little bit of a run, but. But someone mentioned it on the podcast I listened to the other day. They can – the TV house can do – Thirteen episodes, uh, you know, which which equates to multiple hours of something, but they can't do a simple two hour movie correctly. And and I find that to be uh, weird. I don't, they just need to put the TV creative team on on movies, I guess, or or just bring in a comic book writer. That's not Jeff Johns having to oversee every little aspect of everything. Bring in a, an older flash writer or something like that. Someone who knows and understands these characters. Have them do the story and just have somebody punch up the script. I'm not. I'm I'm still not sure why they haven't had legit comic book writers in these rooms working on these stories for people.
0: I don't know what they even want them. But to me, and I could be wrong because I'm sure like a huge DC stand will probably hear me and go, "All right, you know this this guy's out of his mind." They'll probably stop the podcast. But (laughs) to me, the one reason why I've always enjoyed the cartoons at least as far as DC's animated series and, of course, now the TV shows that they're kind of biting the bullet, is that, to me, I always feel like DC works best as, like, a serialized format.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like, I think that's really where they excel. Like, The Flash, I mean, Arrow is a lot more of a, you know, long narrative, very much a soap opera with, you know these superheroes, but the flash in and of itself is very much the you know, the villain of the day kind of thing. Yeah, there's an overarching storyline and there's things that need to be resolved, but at its core it's basically like, okay, who's the big bat this week? How are we gonna stop, you know, weather wizard or Captain Cold and stuff like that. And I think it works for them, like to basically just do that story, but I don't know if you can do that with the movie.
1: You're correct, uh, and some shows just work in a serialized format. You know, who so had a fairly serialized format with a long, overarching narrative, The X Files, one of the most loved and successful shows of all time. Right. So there's yeah, all this. Uh, you know, we're talking about you know long form and short form of storytelling. You can't knock. Uh, telling a story in all these different forms. Comic books, in nature, are serialized forms of storytelling, which is probably why these episodes uh work so well. You just wrap up season one and would be what would be volume one of a trade paperback, and then they kind of move on to you know another to you know Deathstroke being the the villain for you know season two or three or whatever it is, and then wrap that up in the trade number two. So. They have their TV side, by all reports, firing on all cylinders because it follows a comic book format, I think.
0: Maybe that's why Marvel's work, for the most part, is, you know, I've heard this, this is not my, these are not my words, so I don't remember who said it, but what made the MCU work, especially for Phase 2, is they realized that, yes, there are superheroes in this, and yes, there's superpowers and there's special effects, but... There's still movies. So what they did was, at least according to as I read it, was they essentially took each movie in a particular genre. Yep. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Ant-Man is a heist movie, and Guardians of the Galaxy is like, a, you know, it's a space caper kind of thing. And Winter Soldier, which, oh, freaking, I can go on about the movie forever, but it's very much <laughs> a stripped-down spy thriller. There's no yeah. superpowers in Captain America,
1: too. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, a a boy in his shield uh, is what you could uh, subtitle Captain America to. It's not about superpowers. They, They focus on having different genres and focusing on characters.
0: And I think that's kind of what the DC movies, at least in their own way, need to do. And there's parts of Dawn of Justice, which somewhere deep, deep down in there, there's a good movie to be had. Yeah, and Zack Snyder is not my favorite director by any means, so maybe I'm a little biased, but somewhere in there, there's a good movie. There's a good story. Other than the really bad retelling of Batman's origins, the concept of Bruce Wayne being at the ground level of that fight for Man of Steel and seeing this superpower being, A, destroyed not only part of his company, but also just hurting innocent people that he's supposedly, you know, there to save that's a great basis for a story it's an amazing premise because you're seeing it you know like i remember watching that fight originally when it happened i'm like you know we all talked about how much like oh you know how is why is he you know destroying all these people people are getting hurt and now you're actually seeing it you know like the guy whose legs are taken out or the girl you know that part where bruce wayne's trying to console the girl and he's like oh where are your parents where's your family she points to the rubble i'm like that is Great, that's gold right there. They could have rolled sure. credits? I might have actually, you know, <laughs> been sold on Batfleck, because the look on his face is like, this motherfucker, like, you know, you're supposed to be one of us, and look at you destroying everything. Roll credits, there you go. That movie could have easily beat Avengers 2 in some regards. But no, it decided to keep going.
1: I still am trying to figure out if when they made Man of Steel, if that was in their mind the whole time, or if they saw the audience... Outlash, and they're like, we can probably work this into a story. That's what I want to know. Was it intentional, or they find a way to work it in? I
0: don't know. Because I think, even, I'll even go as far as to say that the MCU even had the same problem. Because, you know, after the Avengers and the Fielder movies, you know, they're basically destroying everything. So, you know, people are, had that same argument of, oh, the Avengers, yeah, they stayed in New York, but how many people got killed, you know, when all these builders are getting trashed or when the Hulk's, you know, doing his thing? So, of course, then came Civil War, which addressed it in that regard. And, you know, you can argue which movie handled that premise better, but, you know, some of it had to be reactionary. It couldn't all be a part of the plan.
1: Yeah, you know, Marvel likes to say that they have this long-running plan, but I'm sure there's a uh there's like at least a ten percent wedge for uh for improvisation and 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 seeing what the fans say and kind of retooling and readjusting. I, I'm pretty sure they, have, I have all faith that they know what the end game is, at least as far as. Uh, phase three, Thanos is concerned. Uh But I'm pretty sure there's a couple of times they've they've adjusted and done a couple of a couple other things to to respond to fan criticism or what they love to give them more of that kind of stuff. Like for for instance, that that continuous shot at the uh, the Battle of New York, that and the end of Avengers, where you see all the Avengers in that one long tracking joint. Yes, everybody raved about that shot, right? And how does Joss Whedon open Age of Ultron with that exact scene? And so you know, things like that. I'm pretty sure they uh. They they have their game plan, but they also have room for improvisation and maneuverability, whereas DC, I think, is being hugely uh, reactionary uh, to what the fans have to say. They teased a, a Birds of Prey movie. People are like, that's kind of weird. And all of a sudden you didn't hear anything else about a Birds of Prey movie. And, you know, the Harlequin movie. and People are like, yeah, I guess we haven't really heard anything else about a Harlequin movie. Um, all we hear about these days is them losing directors left and right.
0: Yeah. And right now, I mean, I'm not sure what I feel too much about Spider-Man one way or the other. I mean, I'm still mad that thanks to, you know, Homecoming, we're getting Black Panther year late, but that's really gonna be, that and Captain Marvel are the true test of if the MCU can really hold true, because, I mean, to do Black Panther and to make that cast as You know, that cast alone is like, holy shit. It's like, if you're amazing and you're black, you're pretty much in that movie.
1: The only person that's not in that movie somehow is Nick Fury, which I find hilarious that he's not in that movie.
0: (laughs) Is he done? Like, is Samuel Jackson done with the MCU? Because he hasn't been in a a lot of them lately.
1: No, it's been reported. Actually, matter of fact, I just found out today that he is uh, reported for being in Captain Marvel. So we'll see Fury in Captain Marvel. You can't do... Uh, everything is leading up to uh, Infinity War, obviously, and you can't do that without the dude who put the whole thing together. For good or for ill, I think we'll see Neferian in, in uh, Infinity War.
0: I'm really excited about Infinity War, and I know that, that uh, featurette that came out with you know, them on set looked great. But right now, I'm just waiting for February 2018, because if Marvel pulls this off, even if everything in Infinity War afterwards is garbage... If they nail Black Panther, you know what? That's it. That's pretty much, that's almost like, you know, immunity for life. Like, they can't do anything wrong after that. <laughs> to make a movie like that, a superhero movie, black as hell as it is, <laughs> that's that's a statement, you know?
1: <laughs> that's actually going to be on the poster for Black Panther, a superhero movie, black as hell as it is.
0: I hope they use this as a pull quote, and it's like, critics rave, this movie's great, Hollywood Reporter, uh, Chicago <laughs> sometimes thinks it's great, it's black as hell, Adrian, Adrian has issues.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I would I would definitely buy that poster. <laughs> I said, since they announced that Infinity War would be what ends Phase 3, if they stopped the entire MCU right there, because I think that makes like movie, uh, Infinity War Part 2, whatever the hell they decide to call it, I think that makes like movie 21 or 22. If they stopped it all right there and said, that's it, we're done making Marvel movies, I would be 100% satisfied with that.
0: I wonder if this is why they decided to change their minds as far as the part one and part two. Maybe they're kind of like, you know, not that they're actually going to stop, but maybe it's like a closure point just in the odd chance that their other plans don't work out or maybe they'll see what the landscape is like because, you know, that was the whole plan. There was going to be two parts, but granted, that was also at a time when... Every movie had a part two to it, but yet, it's a smart plan that everything's coming to, you know, this head. Like, obviously, the Thanos underlying story is going to be resolved. We're going to see Guardians and, you know, the Avengers team up, which is... I, I cannot wait for the Tony Stark-Peter Quill conversation. I can...
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Tony Stark rocket raccoon conversation, I think <laughs> going to be. That's the one to watch out for. But yeah, it's it's the culmination of everything. Like I said, the Thanos storyline, I think it'll also be the culmination of uh, everything we see in Civil War. That'll all be, uh, you know, that beef will be squashed as well. For me, unless they get Fantastic Four back, just, just stop. Just stop it right there.
0: Yeah, which is the only part about this that's really upsetting to me. And maybe there's a reason why Inhumans was dropped off of the movie Slate and made into a TV show. Maybe there's something else that they're working on that they're not saying. I mean, really, how crazy would it be if turns out the second Avengers doesn't even touch Earth? Like, it just goes total cosmic. Yeah, I'm talking like some War of Kings-type nonsense with maybe they do get the Fantastic Four back, or, you know, maybe the Skrulls can have a part in it, or maybe they end up fighting Galactus. I don't know, but I think that there's something going on that, you know, obviously they're not telling us, and probably for good reason, But because I'm like, after Infinity War, where do you go from there? Like, it can only be crazier. So maybe they'll do some sort of. I'm sorry, I just had a kind of an epiphany. Maybe they end up doing some Kane the Conqueror time travel nonsense and find a way to reboot the entire franchise, because, you know, obviously a lot of contracts are going to be up soon.
1: You know, as far as Marvel getting the Fantastic Four back, honestly, I don't give any craps about the Fantastic Four. Who I do give a crap about is Victor Von Doom. So if they started if <laughs> cleared everything with Thanos and they started setting up doom as the next big bad, then I would be completely okay with that.
0: But I like fantastic four, but I think at this point, the only way that show can work is a series only because, you know, talking about storylines and, you know, serialized formats, but fantastic four to me were always great as explorers. They were less fun as a superhero team.
1: I can 100% agree with that. If, uh, if, if they have, like, a, like a, a Netflix or, a, you know, a, a run or something like that of just every week is just uh, something something new and wild and crazy out there in space, I think people would respond to that uh, way more than uh, than they respond to any of the movies we've gotten Fantastic Four-wise or, you know, something they find might have some crazy ripple effects that ripple through the Guardians and, and may r- ripple down to, to, to Earth. So there's, there's plenty of room for possibility, but, you know, it's I like I said, they've earned their credit with me. So I'll, I'm content to sit back and watch and see uh, where this crazy train takes us.
0: Yeah, because I'm at this point, I'm going to call it now, I have a feeling that the second Avengers movie is actually just going to flower or just be called The New Avengers.
1: Uh, you, th- you think it's going to be called The New Avengers?
0: Or something along that line, because there's just, like, I have a feeling that by the time the second Avengers movie happens, we're not going to see most of the majority of the OG characters, at least not in the major roles. I feel like that's the only reason why we're now getting, you know, Black Panther, Captain Marvel. Like, I think we might just be getting uh, an actual, completely all-new squad.
1: And, you know, if they were to do that, I I would not be upset at all, because that's what the comic books have been. It's always been a consistently rotating squad of A and sometimes B-list dudes. Uh, Yeah, if they did that, 100% okay with it. 100% okay with it.
0: But yeah, I don't know, but it's going to be crazy, and I'm trying not to get hype, but at the same time, it's like, okay, Wolverine, I'm a little scared about, but I will start flipping out like a maniac over some Infinity War news, and maybe that's biased of me, but you know what? Like we talked about, they earned that respect to get me to geek out because they
1: did the work. Exactly, and and all of a sudden, there's rumors popping up of something being filmed in Hawaii. Uh, that's something possibly being some Namor type stuff. So they they... they See, don't,
0: don't, don't, don't. See, you can't say that because now I'm going to get hyped again. (laughs) I'm trying to be objective. I'm not fucking objective. What am I I kidding?
1: (laughs) It it all goes back to that credit they've built up. Like, they know how to treat their characters. All you got to do is get an Asian dude or Pacific Islander who knows how to act like an asshole. And boom, you got yourself a name war.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, granted, they kind of teased Namor way back in Iron Man 2, so, I mean, at this point, why not do it? Because they already, you know, they hinted at Afron, Wakanda, they did it. So, unless there's some weird legal wrangling that we don't know about, but, you know what, just do it. And Even if it bombs, you know what, they made a Namor movie, and who would have thought that, like, you know, decades ago that we would even be seeing something even possibly hinted at Namor, you know? Like, there's a real possibility that that could happen, and I love that it's not even something that we talk about in the lunchroom, and people are like, nah, you're crazy, man. They're never going to do that.
1: <laughs> uh, for me, Namor movie is important for representation purposes. Because today, off top my head, there's three Asian people in all of the MCU. So I would love to see a Namor-led film with an uh, Asian or Pacific Islander, like I said, maybe a Daniel Day Kim from Lost. Or, you know, somebody like that to uh, to pop up in there.
0: If they can't do Namor, at least, at least give me Shang-Chi. Come on, they gotta do just one crazy, you know what, a Shang-Chi movie in a style of the Raid? Fuck it, done.
1: Just do it. Yeah, yeah, or just start off by giving me Shang-Chi somewhere in in the Iron Fist show. Just have him pop up for an episode and be like, oh, it's fucking Isn't he? Like, I heard some rumors that he may. Yeah, I've heard rumors that he may. I've never heard anything confirmed or anybody Because I feel like if we knew Shang-Chi was in there, we would know who was cast as Shang-Chi. And since I haven't heard anything like that, they're either keeping it incredibly close to the chest, or maybe they're saving it for Iron Fist Season 2. Who knows?
0: I know I'm a little disappointed that Misty Knight's not going to be in it, only because I feel like Chi's as important to Iron Fist as anybody else. But you know what? I got a lot of opinions on Iron Fist, and I think once it gets closer to that show coming out, I may have to have some people on to discuss it, because... I don't know what they're planning to do with it. Like, this is probably the least excited I've been for a Netflix show for a lot of reasons. But at the same really? time, uh, I don't know. I think it's mainly just the casting as far as Danny Rand himself. Okay. Like, I don't know. And I know it's nitpicky or whatever. And But I know there's a lot of people who are vocal and saying that, you know, they should have cast an Asian person. You know, they very well are probably right. But there's a lot of things they could have done. but who knows, like, maybe they'll they'll prove me wrong, much like I thought that Jessica Jones wasn't going to be great, or even, like, season two of Daredevil was not as great, but then by the end of it, like, they got me, so we'll see how it goes. But I'm kind of reserving a lot of my judgment until I'm watching, because I have a feeling that It'll make sense to me once I see it. But the trailer was good, but I wasn't blown away like I was for the other three shows. All right.
1: That's that's crazy to me because that's the one I've been waiting for this whole time. And I've been sitting here salty for the last two years because uh, they they put it at the very end of the list. And I think that was a calculated move because they wanted to see just how much weird the audience can handle before you give them a a dude who punches the heart of a dragon (laughs) to, uh, to, (laughs) to gain glowing fists. Uh, and, you know, they have to set up Madame Gow all throughout Daredevil and things like that. So, yeah, this is... If you have some some, some cats on for I, I, Iron Fist joint, you let me know. That that Matt Fraction, uh, David, aha, Iron Fist. I'm currently rereading it right now Ooh, in, in good preparation call. for the show. It's utterly weird and insane, and I have no idea what the hell's going on at the time I'm reading, but I love it.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Darrell, thank you so much, man. Like I feel like we could have gone forever, but I guess at some point we will have to wrap up, but... That only means that you're just going to have to come back on. I don't know. Maybe we will have to talk some Iron Fist because, you know, I need someone to sort of temper my thoughts about it. And I, I think this could actually work. So who knows? Maybe we could work something out. But thank you so much for coming on. I had so much fun, man.
1: Oh, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me talk uh, about this little crazy book I got going on, man. Uh, I had a fun-ass time, so whenever you uh, whenever you want me to come back, sir, I'm available.
0: Awesome. But speaking about this little book you're working on, we should definitely reiterate where people could check it out and also where people could check out, you know, you on social networking or anything else that you feel like plugging.
1: Uh, so Pineville, man, you can, you can find it online on Comixology where you go find all your other comic books. Uh, you can search it. It's just like it sounds P I N E V uh, I L E. It's the only Pineville that's out there as far as I know. $2.99. So, I mean, you can, you can, that's the price of a DC rebirth issue, right? So you can drop an issue of Dr. Fate. Just don't do Dr. Fate one month and go on and pick up, uh, pick up Pineville number one, man. The more people that pick it up, man, the, the more I can use. I can use hard proof of, you know, when I'm when I'm pitching to these publishers, I like, look X amount of people already bought this on Comixology. There's interest there so we can get picked up and keep doing more stories. As far as, you know, me, myself, I'm on Twitter at C Delicious, S-E-E-D-A-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. I'm also on uh, Instagram at C Delicious, uh, the Paprika Network. You can find that on SoundCloud or on iTunes, P-O-P-R-I-K-A. Or if you really feel like getting down into the nerdiness of it, um, you can hop into the Facebook group, which you're a part of, facebook.com slash groups slash Paprika, P-O-P-R-I-K-A podcast.
0: Awesome, man. Again, thank you so much for chilling out with me. This, This has been a great one. So you guys check it out. Support Indie Comics as per usual. I mean, if you've heard this show before, you, you know how important that is to me and to mm-hmm. everybody else. So definitely uh, check it out and let me know what you think. And you know what? Honestly, the the feedback helps. And that's something that I think maybe we don't stress out enough. And obviously be constructive with it. Don't be a jackass. But, you know, <laughs> 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 but definitely let these creators know that you're reading their stuff, because that really helps out a lot uh, for us. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Adrian has issues and we will see you next issue.
1: Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please be sure to visit adrianhasissues.com to stream or download our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at Adrian Has Issues, on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod, and follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Satchel Podcast app available on iOS and Android. Adrian Has Issues is a proud member of the Nerdsloth Network, home to such great podcasts as Nerds on Tap, Cinefreak Critique, and Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. Visit them at nerdsloth.com.